In this episode, we sit down with Joan and Jane, the Therapy Twins, and discuss their book, Under the Hood, Therapy Twins Guide to a Smoother Ride. Yes, it's a self-help book, but a relatable one. A short read filled with useful insights written in a light-hearted manner. As well as discussing the book, we speak about addiction, health, past experiences, and exercises to help us overcome traumas. Jane, Joan, welcome both. I'm going to have to try to uh, make sure I always get those right. Jane, Joan. Um, so welcome. How are you both doing? Well? Very well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good, good. Why don't you introduce yourselves for the audience? So a little bit about your background, what you guys do. I don't want to. You do that. Okay, so we are Jane and Joan, or more recently, Joan and Jane, because you know there's this twin thing, so it's a 50-50. And uh, we are called Therapy Twins. We're former therapists that decided to, while we actually were therapists, decided to come out with our own mental illness in a comedic manner and give a few helpful tips on what got us started on our road of recovery. And because it's kind of frowned upon in the profession to come out with your own mental illness, but we're trying to break that stigma, let people know with the rise of the need of mental health that, you know, we're human too. So, you know, how many times people are afraid to seek out a therapist or they see a therapist and they're like, oh, I felt judged and they stop right there. But, you know, give us a break. The only difference between us and them is it used to be keys or now it's the chair you sit in. So. That's it. So originally you were both um, registered nurses and then you became registered mental health nurses specializing in mental health. Is that right? Yes. 1982 for Jane, 84 for me, because I didn't want to be a nurse, but you know, she was supporting herself. And then 05, I believe for me as a therapist and Jane, 2000. 2000. Yeah. And what's the right way to describe what you do now? So you're no longer nurses your therapists or is it there are different types of therapists we even retired from that as well uh everyone says wait until you're 65 and if you didn't plan on it or 67 yeah and you didn't plan for retirement and certain things changed so we actually had to move in together so at 62 we both retired from the profession so now basically we are a comedic act we're authors and we go on book tours and we are also invited to universities and other places so that we can speak uh, about the book. Because coming out with your own mental illness as former providers, we medicated as well, was so frowned upon and judged within our profession as well. People kept saying, you guys are so brave. And I'm thinking, why? Why well, that was the, I those, those were the kind words. Oh, those were the kind words. Anyway, our, our Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, said uh, it's great when actors, actresses, billionaires come out with their own mental illness. Yay, they have that trampoline to fall upon. And the average person doesn't have that. And they become so judged and so ostracized because they're not the show for the day. Mm-hmm. He said, until the mental health professionals come out, we will never break that stigma. So we followed in a couple of people's footsteps, but that was our goal. So you're mental health professionals. You put it on record that you suffer from, how would you describe what your um, mental health illness is? 
the best way to describe it is uh, PTSD for both of us. You know, mine, mine presented more with depressive symptoms and Joan's more anxiety, say. And well, yeah. I actually thought that I had intermittent explosive disorder. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. really did. I, I thought it. And all the psychiatrists used to say, no, Joan, <laughs> you blah, blah. <laughs> okay. Because we okay. also come out and say we've gotten our own treatment as well. Yeah. And what helped and what didn't, but it's, you know, individual for everybody because identical twins needed different, slightly different treatment. Yes. Joan was allergic to a medicine that I wasn't. I found oh. that very interesting. Oh, I was talking about the emotional. Yes. Background. The emotional stuff is different <laughs> as well. Yeah. 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 Well, that's yeah, interesting. Art, art, so yeah. to, 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 um, so despite the fact that you are identical twins, not everything works exactly the same for both of you. You do have some differences, definitely. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the book that you've written is called, I'm, I'm going to get the first part of it right, because it's, it's, it's under the hood. And what's the second yes. part? <laughs> what's funny about under the hood, though, is we didn't realize there were so many other names <laughs> under the hood, because mechanics have written books about <laughs> literally under the hood. And we were thinking under our brain, hood, yes. but whatever. So the rest of it is how we hotwired our brain, calmed, do I get to swear? Calmed the F down and let that shit go. Because those were the hardest for us. I could not calm right. down and I couldn't let things go from the 70s. Well, actually, probably, probably since birth. Because I never knew how to do that inner child work. Ugh, boring. Never had kids. I was barren for a reason. And uh, there, yeah, I didn't want to do the inner child. I would get hypnotized though. I did. I allowed that. I loved that actually. And why did you write the book? Well, I was sick and tired of people looking like all that in a bag of chips. I've had my own therapy. I felt judged by the person opposite and of the chair that I was sitting in. And I realized since the early 80s that, you know, normal people that suffered from extreme trauma had bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, uh, depression, anxiety, and, you know, PTSD presents as a lot of that. So I was sick and tired of it. And why can't I come out with my own mental illness? When my doctor told me when he broke his foot, because I broke my foot and he, yep. he was very comfortable telling me that. Yet my professor at the time said, because I've been sexually assaulted and we had to run groups. And I did share with the group of women because they were not speaking. Mm -hmm. I shared my experience briefly and then they all felt comfortable bringing it up. And she said, well, I hope this is, she said, well, I hope you didn't share that with the group. It's like, yeah, lady, I did. I don't recall if I lied or not. I really don't, but I may have because I followed the religion Jainism and you get to lie periodically. Uh, and I did not um, create that particular religion. But, uh, you know, to, to add to that, I know for me, I think Joan too, I can't stand so many secrets you know, so we, we grew up in these families where you can say this, but you can't say that. And I used to get myself in trouble because I would say the, you can't say that part. Couldn't remember. <laughs> Sometimes I would just say it on purpose though. Oh, cause I don't like secrets because with, you know, the other thing is I sort of blurted out a lot of, um, like Joan just said, she was sexually assaulted. We come right out and, and, and say, sure. Yeah. That happened to me because why not? why not why not create an environment where there's really no need to gossip because you already aired it 
and you don't have to air it in a, you know, that's what therapy like is a for. novel. Therapy right. is for people to go in and, you know, really vomit for hours, you know, <laughs> maybe not an hour, more than an hour a day because of the insurance companies, but you know, there's a time and place for everything, but we have a long history of not like, liking secrets. And, and what I found were there were people in the profession that were willing to use their insurance and go for therapy and let it be well known. And then there were others and that decided to keep it a secret. And obviously, um, Joan and I did not want to keep that a secret. The feedback we get from patients that we used to get from the clients when we became more real yeah. and the, the way they would open up, it was phenomenal. I personally found your book to be really good, just quite simply, because it's short, it's to the point, it's got some useful exercises at the end and it's got some really good, um, just insight into a, it's quite, it's very relatable, I found personally. And at the beginning of the book, you, you know, you give, you give different angles on the key concepts of we are all responsible for our own choices. And the key theme in the beginning that I saw is that the mind is the steering wheel of the brain, right? My question is, if the, if the mind is the steering wheel, who's steering that steering wheel? How do we engage that driver? <clears throat> well, you know, who's, you know, and there's a lot of, you can go, you can go, I had a lot of Uber drivers. You know, you can yeah. Google anything. And what I've been seeing a lot of is when you think about who's steering it, obviously we are, and there's this comedian that we get to go see, I think tomorrow night named Bill Burr. And he had this funny line about, his wife didn't understand why he would have these outbursts. And what he wanted to know was how many childhood stories did he have to tell her so that she could <laughs> possibly understand why he was behaving in that manner. Something about the dogs. Right. Yeah. And so the literature I'm reading about is who's steering is our subconscious mind. It's the okay. subconscious part. So it's kind of like, you remember you know, id, super ego, ego. Well, what we have is a subconscious mind and dialectical behavioral therapy goes into this in a very beautiful, uh, non-funny way, but we're gonna change the words slightly. So you've got that subconscious mind really steering everything. And if you wanna have free will, you, oh, people need to start looking into themselves, uh, observing themselves, evaluating did that work for me you know maybe the next time I want to make a different choice because otherwise we really don't have free will and it's our own faults I had a different perspective just now because I was thinking of a client that you actually said that to some clients would, would say if they didn't like my simplistic concrete um, responses or answers they would say can we get Jane in here or if somebody had a child mm -hmm. they would say definitely mm -hmm. get Jane. oh because my dad named me the lecturer and uh, I I chose not to scream at him that particular day and I thought hmm why don't I look at why I'm called that and yeah so I'll go on and on I guess so, Joan, what yeah. would your response have been then if, if, if Jane was going to give a different response and uh, maybe more? Yeah, well, I, what my DNA was, you know, gearing towards was sometimes, like myself, you don't trust your own instincts. You just don't. So you're always looking for what that other person is going to do or say, and you ask advice a lot. And oftentimes, um, 
you know, I hope people don't vote that way. I'm sure I have. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. somebody else is steering because you're not trusting who you are and your gut because we lose that right away. You know, you lose it. In, as a child, people start saying, no, you didn't have a dream of your grandparent or, the, you know, things like that. So just like you can learn a musical instrument or certain things about art and whatever it is before the age of oh, languages, before the age of nine, it could even be seven. Mm. America pays no attention to that no. whatsoever. And we all do it as adults and wonder why it's not working. But anyway, yeah, it's they so have a difficult. lot of spirituality. They have a lot of instincts when they're little. And we lose so, it. So sometimes it's your own subconscious mind. Sometimes it's other people who are steering. But I guess that filters into the subconscious mind also. Uh -huh. I, I, you know, I have questions later because um, you guys have got exercises at the in the back of the book around. Uh -huh. um, I don't know how you describe it. Uh, probably more healing, moving on, those kinds of things. Um, mm -hmm. And we should probably talk more about those later and touch back upon how we can reprogram the subconscious mind. Um, mm -hmm. What what I was going to actually ask now was, I think if you're someone who's reading this book and you're in a place where you're ready to do something positive, you're ready to change, you're ready to move on, I think a lot of the messages would sink in. If you're someone who is you know, in a place where you really do need um, the, you need these messages, but you're not in a place where you're receptive because you're someone who's maybe suffering from some sort of addiction and your life is focused on that addiction. How do you start to talk to a person like that and tell them, you know, your mind is the steering wheel of the brain. You are responsible for your own actions. Me. Sure. So Joan, the younger one, <laughs> The more extremely concrete, uh, I wasn't able, or we used to, in psychiatry back in the early 80s, we always charted as that that person is either unable or unwilling, because you never really know, are they unable or are they unwilling? So at the time, I'm thinking I was unable. People kept pushing these positive things towards me. I mm -hmm. called myself a realist. What you can do, I argued, I actually literally argued with the person on the tape because I didn't like their voice. And I told them really, and I was up in them one more ante on how family would have done this to me, whatever. So what you can do is because your subconscious brain soaks information negative or positive without judgment, it just soaks it. What I used to do was take whatever sleeping pill I had, and it could have been melatonin or Benadryl but I took it or Ambien and I pressed play then because if I could go to sleep and have some positivity in my mm -hmm. brain, it, they told me on the tape that it would help me if I did it 30 nights in a row. And I did it. People thought I was on medicine, a new medication. Believe me, I've tried a lot of medicine. So yeah, they are actually mm -hmm. thought I was on a new medication. So I've, I've seen things like that suggested before. So just by hearing things in your sleep, you found you became sort of a different person without really even trying because consciously you probably weren't willing to do the things. Right. Really. <clears throat> right. You know, cause consciously, and you know, as somebody, uh, you know, cigarettes, um, I had a brief stint with, um, being addicted to cigarettes. I don't even have to say the word addiction, right? Cigarettes is, they say is harder to quit than heroin. So um, I law and, you know, with all addiction, you lie, cheat and steal. And, and I didn't steal at, at the time, 
but I was lying and cheating, whatever. So when I lied right to my son's face and he was young and, you know, it's kind of little boys are angels, big boys, they turn into men. But, you know, when my son was an angel, I lied right to his face and I knew that that was the first time I felt like, oh my God, I don't have any power here to do anything. So I couldn't seem to do what Joan was doing with the uh, nighttime thing. <laughs> so what I did, because I was willing, ready and able to do other emotional work. And I had already started a little cognitive behavioral therapy on myself, which is basically you know, the uh, viewing things as the glasses half full, not empty, and trying to challenge some of my negative thoughts. <clears throat> so what I did with cigarettes was, as I was smoking, I would say either in my head, but it works better out loud, is I am so happy and grateful that I'm a non-smoker. And what I found was, uh, it was the people around me that uh, had an issue with that, as if I was lying. And I would try to explain to them that it's my version of cognitive behavioral therapy. So could you just allow me to, you know, that's when I was really noticing there was no freedom of speech. A lot of people in America were noticing this lack of freedom of speech with the cancel culture. But I was noticing it as I was really trying to quit a very bad habit. So anyway, of course, what I'd like to impress upon everyone is because I consciously knew I was still addicted, I would just say it, I'm so happy and grateful I'm a non-smoker, knowing I didn't even believe it because practice makes perfect and you're never going to get the result like you would with you know, certain pharmaceuticals, but you will get that result if you are persistent enough and add a few other kinds of techniques in there. Um, I, am, I am currently a non-smoker and I'm really grateful. <laughs> you mentioned just that about support systems. Um, well, really more you mentioned around, you know, the people around you not being very supportive. So my question is how important is a support system when you're trying to make these sorts of changes? Can you do it without one? I think that, you know what, um, that human body and the human mind is a very powerful thing. And I think some, that some people can do it without any uh, supports if they are uh, a very spiritual person or a very religious person that knows how to tap into their higher power. And I'm not just, you know, I'm not saying for me, like if, it, if my higher power was, oh yeah, there's a God, I don't know much about him, her, it, but yeah, I think there's something that I'm not talking about that type of spirituality. People that really know that they're a connect, they have that connection and then, and they have to love themselves. So of course those people probably don't even suffer from addiction. So why are we even <laughs> talking, right? You know, those are, <laughs> that's what we aspire to be like Gandhi and Jesus, right? I, that's what there's I would a aspire. Couple of other, there's another type of human I'm going to talk. I don't have to discuss, but mention are two, um, veterans that both of one, one was a career veteran colonel in, Viet in Vietnam and one was our father from Korea, Korea, he's dead. But both of them said in front of their peers, this is the last cigarette that I'll ever have. And their peers all laughed hysterically. Both of those men never had another cigarette. So there's that type of human being that I believe suffered from the type of trauma that I believe I have 
that when you give me a challenge, if I want to take that challenge, I will challenge that until I can't breathe into space mm-hmm. because there's something about that. When you have, when you've been violated and you can't get up, you want to prove to people that mm-hmm. you can't take me down anymore. Mm-hmm. Anywho. Anyway, I remember the time that I quit cigarettes and my father said to me, Jane, like he was so proud of me. He said, Jane, you did it just like me. You said you would never have another cigarette and you didn't. And then I'd like to share with all addiction, whether it's legal or illegal, uh, there comes this guilt and shame when you fail because of course I had another cigarette. I mean, hello. And wanting to keep that a secret and, and just the, 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 there's such a, there's the shame. I have to say it, you know, when you look up to a human, like I may have looked up to my father, and this is a man who saved men, watched some die, but then saved men from friendly fire by having to run into the tanks firing upon their own men, uh, stopping a rape um, in Korea, just, you know, confronting his peers, a man that just came up from poverty to middle class, like the shame associated with disappointing that human, um, you can't underestimate that. And I would encourage anyone who feels any shame at all, go more with spirituality Uh, go very much more with spirituality, um, especially if you're someone like me that doesn't like to keep secrets and and will share that with others, looking for empathy and maybe getting judgment in return. Um, I found the spirituality piece was the most helpful. And I want to quickly tell you why. Okay. I had two two short-term therapy clients that had in my opinion, too many stressors at the time, you know, they had maybe three or four huge ones. And I'm thinking in my head, well, I have a lot of work to do here. And both of them dropped out of treatment and they were so appropriate as well. They thanked me and blah, blah, all of that. And it was their faith that got them through. One was a very religious person. The other one was a non-denominational spiritual. And I found that that in my darkest hour, I thought, why don't I pay attention to the successes that I viewed that um, as a success? Because of course I did everything that I thought when I was helpful to people. And I was atheist and angry and what's the one that you don't believe there's anything? Atheist. Then there's agnostic. Yes, so I was atheist, but in, I wanna uh, praise the, the university. We, we, I think we both had this uh, instructor. He said that, you know, if you think alcohol is your drug of choice, you could think PTSD because it causes, you know, you want it for insomnia, anxiety, and depression. Uh, cocaine, think attention deficit disorder or depression. And then marijuana, we won't think anymore because that we have an endocannabinoid system that actually needs that. So go away, marijuana. And it's becoming legal. And yeah, it should be totally legal. And then heroin was the one that struck me the most. The um, instructor said, think, don't say this to your client. He said, but think anger, which I had a lot of. Think anger. And then he said, think what does that person need 
to forget. And oftentimes I would ask clients, please don't tell me if you are uncomfortable, please, but just think about it. What is it that you're trying to forget? So sometimes when you recognize something, people in psychiatry would say you're 50% there. You actually see it now. Mm -hmm. the, the harder 50% for me anyway is how do I change that or get rid of that? And I want to say actors and actresses have said, because I actually wanted to do that when I was younger. And what I heard uh, somebody say recently that acting is a habit. When you get a role, and it makes so much sense, I wished I said said that as an analogy when people would be like, I can't get better, or no, I'm not going to do that. Acting is a role that's a habit. And in order to get out of that habit and role to do your next role, you have to get out of that. So if you played a king that constantly did that, or you know, you, you actually do that. Because I remember when I was young, trying to imitate the way somebody ate because I didn't like the way they ate. And I wanted to know what are they doing with their mouth? Why do I hear that? I started doing it because I started practicing what he was doing that was bugging me. So that is, you know, real. and I didn't realize at the yeah. time, there I am a therapist and a patient. You should have been an actor. I should, I should have been that. And um, yeah, I, here I am thinking it was so difficult to get better. No, it isn't. Practice, practice. The, the, my psychiatrist had to tell me was not a psychiatrist, but she had to tell me uh, that the affirmations, you do know, Joan, that affirmations are lies at first, don't you? And I thought, no, that's all you're asking me to do to get better is lie to myself. Why didn't somebody tell me that? I tried lying as a kid. Nobody said you could, but now I get to. Wonderful. So it's pretty easy to get better once I you like accept call, the concept. I like to call them white lies. Wonderful. Why not black lies? Why are white lies better than oh, black lies? We're going to get into that. I don't, I don't know. Literally. I'm, I'm a literal what? person. I'm trying, I'm trying to learn a foreign language yeah. and where, where I think my downfall is, is I barely learned English growing up. So mm -hmm. it's difficult for me. Good. So there's a, a lot there. There's a lot there in a lot of insight into how to get out of addiction. Where do you think addiction comes from? Is it uh, a brain chemistry thing, a social issue? What do you think? One of the is? things we learned in, in, I think, undergrad and grad school, addiction is a family disease. And uh, try saying that out loud <laughs> <laughs> to the family. To the family. <laughs> because you know what? It's, it looks like it's placing blame, but you know, I'd like to add that most illness, you know, emotional illnesses are a family disease. I mean, if you, if, if a woman who was molested, which is an interesting word we use in psychiatry by her father, um, because it's a sexual assault. If a woman is molested um, and she suffers from PTSD, why aren't we calling that a family disease? I mean, if it wasn't in the family, I don't know what to say. Wait, two things. DNA passes over time. There are multiple studies uh, amongst the uh, world, uh, Holocaust, the Jewish Holocaust. There's yes. where, where that style of anxiety within yes. the children who were never in camps had yes. that, that definite DNA comes through, depressive genes, all kinds of things come through. Mm -hmm. But yet let's widen the lens. Every living mammal, Every living, warm-blooded, because I don't know if cold-blooded was included in the study. It must have been, though alligators are cold. 
but it, I, but I don't know what they. Anywho, any every animal. I wish I'd stop saying that. Anywho, that's where that come from. Finish the sentence. Um, longs for, searches out for something that makes them feel better, but within the study of animals being which of course scientists, I hate that this does, they do this, but I guess we do this as human beings, uh, had all these animals across the board addicted to substances. They wanted to know which is the most addictive substance. They came up with cocaine, which I'm gonna disagree with because some, from being somebody who grew up in the eighties and did do cocaine, I, it felt very calming to me and I loved it. I did homework well. Anyway, they said cocaine. It does give you a false sense of energy, I guess. So I'm going to say the answer was with the lever. To me, in my concrete brain, false sense of energy, lever, lever, lever. What really was the least, what's the most addictive thing was freedom. When they opened the cage doors, alcohol, go down to any addictive substance, down caffeine, every addictive substance, nicotine, Every animal that has chose, a physical withdrawal. Yes, they all chose withdrawal symptoms to fr to freedom. They chose freedom. Freedom over over the that. So that rings a bell. If you don't feel free in society, why wouldn't you long towards some alcohol or long towards some heroin or what you need to forget? Remember that heroin. You need to forget something. And, and unfortunately, a lot of clients told me. I wish they never, oh, I wish they never told me. Right. Because sometimes I remember, not always, but sometimes. So sometimes it's trying to forget something. That's what the driver is. Yes. In, in your work, have you noticed anything common in how human beings are wired? Um, I know we're all different in different ways, but do we have like a common form of wiring? Yes, because there used to be these cluster of even behavioral or you know, with heroin, I, I hope Jane can remember, with heroin, it was, one of them was, fam you work for the family, you work within the family. Wait. Another one, just let, let's start this Yeah, I'm with, sorry. no, no, please don't be. I just wanted to start with the simple thing that years ago, years ago, there, you would have a town drunk, or you would have uh, the son who was the heroin addict, and they all had a, we could be judgmental, and we could profile those people. With the addition of OxyContin or the Sackler family, everybody became a drug addict because of treatment for pain. Because when a substance is given to you a certain amount of times, you know, each substance had it, it all of a sudden everyone can get addicted. I, of course, thought I was a super, <clears throat> superhuman and would never be addicted to cigarettes. It was a poor coping skill that I chose on purpose for a really silly reason. Now that I get to say it, it was very important at the time. And I thought I'd be the only human that didn't get physically addicted to nicotine. Well, isn't that laughable? So we can all become addicts, mm -hmm. whether we had a specific wiring upon birth, because yes, DNA does travel from mommy, from the sperm and the egg to create a, another human. And that's based on things. So just like a fat cell develops at birth, so do some predispositions to certain illnesses. Go ahead. And, oh, I don't remember what we were saying. About you know, like the family, some people work with oh, their family. Within, within a lot of therapy, there was this commonality within my practice for heroin addicts. They worked for their family. 
what else was it? They always had older friends. They never fit in with their age group, but there was one other thing. Do you remember? And you knew who they were. Darn it. I can't remember who they were. Probably male, but that wasn't it. Anyway, there was always this commonality. Then there was, um, you know, certain people would become addicted to alcohol just to sleep. So that were, those were veterans, um, all sexual assault. I'm going to go from birth sexual assault to adult, always trying to get that image out of your head. And you know, what's so funny is all we hear, because I never had children, you can never comment on children to a mother or father because they, they just assault you with their words. No, you can, you never had you can comment to us on other mothers and fathers with kids but what you don't want to right you know what i mean like, yeah you can gossip if you believe in that oh, I what we were talking about. Anyway. well what i want to say yeah, is I that when it. we have when you look at the world and you look at the the areas of the world that have the least amount of addiction mm. or the least amount of opiate deaths or when when you look at it you could look at the areas of the world with the longevity. I mean, you're gonna look at some commonalities of those areas mm -hmm. that the areas with the high rates of addiction and deaths, um, just look at those societies. And most of the time, I think that what Joan is talking about a, a few paragraphs ago about freedom, oh. you know, when you live in poverty, for example, you do not feel free. When you live in the middle class, struggling paycheck to paycheck with zero backup, you're not free or zero family to lean on. You're not free. So when you're not, when, when you have no health insurance and you can't afford the health insurance, but you don't meet the criteria to get the free health insurance, you're not free. So, you know, anyway, if ever a candidate could run on that, I would vote for that person. Me too. Because you'd you'd see you'd see that, that there'd be less of every all those terrible mm -hmm. things. What if you can develop something that makes you feel more free, no matter what it is? Maybe it's exercise, something else. You think that would cut down addiction? I want to go back to that resilient thing I was talking about. When I was younger, so we were born in 1960. So in the uh, <clears throat> late 60s or early 70s there was a crime show and the father had uh, assaulted all of his children. And he said, they're my kids and it's not as if it's gonna affect them for the rest of their lives. Mm. Well, I had people in their 50s, 60s and 70s that I would like to say, yes, it does. So when they say children are resilient, mm -hmm. that is a wonderful, wonderful, you know, we can strive for that. And I do think there are children that are resilient, that pretty much have a tribe taking care of them because the nuclear family will never meet the needs of an infant. They, you just can't, an infant's gonna cry, boom, their needs weren't met, boom. But when you hold a Native American in a thing for two years of caboose or whatever that, that was, so what they said in, in healthcare is, wouldn't it be nice if we as healthcare providers could walk along the river and pull out the children that haven't, you know, they haven't fallen in like to drown yet. And then they did DCF and so all that stuff that just doesn't work. And what works is if people had enough of a living wage 
in order to raise these rugrats, because I would never want to raise them, believe me, they, it does look difficult, <laughs> it looks horrible. But if it was more of a community where, you know, so-and-so, and you would stop raping them, it's like, that's, that is an epiphany. That if people, I, I know of grandmothers, I know of mothers and grandmothers that raped their children and grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Now, come on now. That's something that's difficult to ask you to keep your hands off of a child. Because when you get raped as an adult, at least I knew what was going on. At least I could say something. Not unless, the, well, if the person has their hand over your mouth, they don't, you can't. But you know how to speak of it and you know how to get treatment. As a child, you don't know. So that's what I would say is if we could get a living wage and keep your paws off the children, we could probably not get PTSD from the trauma you can't prevent, such as an airplane. And, you know, and speaking on the fact of <clears throat> the lack or breakdown of community yeah. and my issue with too many secrets is how does molestation keep going and, you know, being allowed is within families, we are allowed secrets. And within a family, we can isolate and isolate, and then no one knows. And, and so, because, because there, there are people too that need help. You know, the predator also needs treatment. Yes. And when you say- And, and empathy, on, um, yeah. which obviously is difficult uh, to give to, but. In the early eighties, I was giving um, injections against will to a, adolescent and all I was trying to all I was doing was taking orders and he kept <laughs> telling me that these female hormones that I was giving him was not changing his sexual appetite it just wasn't and he was going to continue maybe not with his penis but he was going to continue and then at the other building I worked at, at uh, Yale there was a mandated uh, pedophile and I gotta say being a nurse you don't have time to read charts all the time and I was raving about this wonderful gentleman. So every human being, you separate them and you don't know their secrets and lies. Every human being is better than their worst act somehow along the way, because as we know, all serial killers have been violently <clears throat> abused, violently and violently shamed and humiliated. So we make them. So I believe what we're doing is making a lot of, um, yes. I think the catchword today is narcissist, which is hilarious. Think PTSD, yes. symptom and of. Who also who, who, who re require empathy and treatment to get better. So. You, you talk a lot in your books about your own lives and the things that you've experienced, including some of the things that you've just talked upon now. Uh, what I want to ask is, it seems like for a very long time in your life, you lived lives full of fear and negativity and all of that. Um, and then at some point you started to make a change. Let's say, just to keep the math simple, let's say for the first 30 years, 40 years of your life, you um, lived lives filled with fear and negativity. If you've done that for 30, 40 years, how many years then does it take to sort of change that around? Is it another 30, 40? Is it that simple? You know, every one year, you know, it doesn't have to be, it, it doesn't have to be, but it took, my cousin asked me this and I can't recall when I was speaking with her, what event I was referring back to as to when I changed. But when I counted, it took 14 years for Joan, mm -hmm. myself, 
to finally see, wow, doors are opening. Things are positive. I'm not suffering from any traumas. Anybody I meet, they're not negative. They seem to be more on my page. But Jane did things much differently. Um, no, 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 not much differently. <laughs> what I want, I was just going to say, I remember this client of mine that was very active in AA and very, very full of recovery in terms of his emotional work. It was inspiring. And I remember um, either it was him or he did as the sponsor to the other person. So the one guy is new in recovery and bitches to his um, sponsors that <laughs> damn, my wife is still accusing me of lying. And the sponsor says, well, how long were you um, drinking for? Just refresh my memory. How long were you an alcoholic? Have you been an alcoholic, dude? And he says, well, it, it was at least 10 years. And the sponsor didn't even explain it to him. He says, think, you know, take that 10 years, go home and think about it and, you know, come back and talk to me tomorrow. So, because the guy thought the second he, he stopped drinking and he may have had his, his 30 day coin at that point, but they, he thought, okay, well now the world has to open for me. No, 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 it doesn't. When I started my affirmations to quit smoking, it took a few more years before it actually worked. And in a few years, all it did was decrease my number of cigarettes, say from 10 to five, took a few more years. So it, and it also is, if you don't maintain your new way of thinking, no, it's such a drag. If, if you don't maintain your new way of thinking, just think if you never wash your body ever again, well, Jesus is gonna get dirty again. You, it's a new way of living. It's like anti-aging cream. Yeah. You know, you stop, you're, it goes all back oh, like immediately you're like 10 years behind so there's this yeah. new machine called microcurrent and it's sports medicine duh i didn't even know that and you just microcurrent your face and it's you're exercising all of your muscles and it just all starts to lift be careful because i used to have this eyebrow in high school and people used to call me evil eyebrow evil eye and um, it's actually trying to come up above my glasses. So I'm going to have to stop the machine and just go down here. Mm -hmm. yeah. What and I would like to say is it, so takes, it, works. it takes a really long time yes. before you sort of notice, but keep up the good work. No, you know, forgive yourself every time you mess up because you're going to mess up a lot of times. You know, we don't all get into first grade or we don't graduate high school never having picked up a pen or a pencil nowadays opening a computer we've done right. work along the way i didn't want to do it right i didn't it was it's awful and and joan and i i mean i i've already said i was the lazy one i needed things simple and easy so one thing at a time you know and but jane could say things in a loving manner i was disgusted by the word alone mm -hmm. a lot of my humor was negative mm -hmm. i would say you know why would i go to church i'd self-ignite like a match i mean it was just negative stuff and i didn't find uh positive things funny at, at first i can make it funny now but at first i didn't and that's where one of the easiest ways to get yourself jump started and to tell you the truth i don't know if this is actually in the book what I mean, it, it's in the book in terms of where it says Jane helped Joan or Joan helped Jane. But one of the best ways to get you jump started is to help somebody else. Yeah. So when I saw, it was actually a client, a former client that said, your sister looks different to me. 
and he couldn't explain it. But in my head, I knew Joan and I were having a really, really tough time. So in my head, I thought, okay, thank you to that person for inspiring that I was going to practice something that was told to me to do. And it was a deceased grandmother that came to me in a dream and said, I am asking you to view your sister through compassionate eyes. And I mean, I thought about it and poo-pooed it a little bit, but that made me do that. And so basically what I'm saying, if you're a prayer warrior, you know, good for you. I didn't know how to do that, but to send your loved one positive vibes rather, you know, at least 50% of the time, the other 50% of the time, if you want to complain about what an asshole they are, or do, can you believe what she did? Or, you know, oh, my husband's drinking again, please spend at least 50% of the time with the positive. Because otherwise you're going to like anti-aging cream, you're going to go back 10 years. Yeah. You're going to have to start forgiving. I didn't even think forgiveness was my job because I figured, well, you believe in some sort of religion and God. And I hear forgiveness and Jesus. So I said, why should I even practice forgiveness? But I didn't even know that if you can't forgive uh, yourself, especially, how would you ever love yourself? So when Jane said, well, why don't you say the Lord's prayer? I didn't want to, but I saw a movie with um, respect. What's her name? Just a little bit. Aretha. Franklin. Yeah, Aretha. When she was down and out, she broke out into our father. And I thought, oh, I know that prayer. Yeah. So when I said it as an adult, it says right in the prayer, I came out. I said, oh, I get it, Jane. I forgive everyone else because Jesus forgave me. I said, how simple is that? Like, wow, what an epiphany. So yeah, you got to let that shit go. You really do. Well, otherwise, if you think about it, you're giving everybody a life sentence or the death penalty. I mean, it's right. Why I'm would no you, cancel you know, culture. for, for, for crime, a crime such as I'm um, smoking a cigarette again after feeling shame about my uh, father. Does that mean I have a death penalty or a life sentence? No. No, come on. If you go to the Catholic church with this, uh, what was that thing called when you tell the priest? Um, confession. Confession. Um, the last time I did confession, uh, we, we were kids and we stole a piece of paper out of the grocery store or whatever. And Joan and our friend went to one priest and I was in a different line. I went to the other priest and Joan and Susan accused me of lying <laughs> and not telling the priest that I stole the paper because my penance, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know how many they tell you to do one, our father and, and eight. That's when I turned away from 1800 Hail yeah. Marys, or, you know, vice versa, whatever. And then it, whatever. So, but anyway, I think the point was send positive vibes to your loved ones. Otherwise you're programming your own brain, your own mind to be so negative and remember that's the steering wheel and therefore you're going to be that old crotchety person that no one wants to be around and look all gross and you have a lot of wrinkles yeah you get a lot of in fact there's this big furrow mm -hmm. between mm -hmm. people's eyes and i just read too that that had a lot to do with anger mm -hmm. towards your father oops well remember remember there's the you know homely girl and the gorgeous girl and that's probably not politically correct right one looks like a supermodel and one looks like a normal human being, right? And you wonder which one, when they walk down the street, all the guys or girls are after. 
And your first thought is the beautiful one. But as one of my ex-boyfriends said, oh, all beautiful girls have low self-esteem. Aren't I lucky that I know that? <laughs> but anyway, everyone's going after the normal girl that thinks she's all that in a bag of chips and she's friendly and giving good eye contact and has a great walk. The other one is slunched over, depressed. And I understand that one because um, although, although I thought I was um, the homely girl with the depression, because I thought, oh boy, and that I had too much ego back then. Now I know um, I clean up nicely is a good affirmation. And that a little lipstick does help you feel a little bit better. Oh, and if you're going to lie to yourself, if you don't like a certain word like joy right. or love or don't use it. Some people <laughs> say they, they can't even start with, I love myself. They can act, they can only say I'm at, one of the affirmations a client came up with was I am totally adequate. I thought, Ooh, that, I oh, that. My, my first one was I clean up nicely because I was able to put an outfit together, but I was unable or unwilling, let's say, to say anything kind about my, whatever I am, my soul, my, my. But ask for I help, but you'll be mad at your friend because you will be shocked at how negative you really are, but they have permission now to confront you on it. It'll be pretty funny. Like in the movies now, they joke. Like that's a terrible affirmation when the guy says I'm going to die tonight. Mm, maybe you, you know, I'm going to move away, move away because you are going to die tonight. Yeah. You spoke a lot about forgiveness there, uh, which is I think one of the exercises in your book for healing and moving on from trauma. What is some of your own personal favorite exercises for doing that? I know which one's mine. It's the, that simple, simple one where it's um, thank you for that negative experience. I'm returning it to you with, I can say love now, with love for your own emotional healing. I love that one because it's mm -hmm. easy. Some of the other ones are really hard. I, you know, I give it that past life one where I did it to you. Oh, it, yeah, does it always difficult. have to be like that? Because we talk about how to get better and it's, you know, you spot it, you got it. That's hard. Mm. Go ahead. My new, I don't even know what my, my previous favorite way to do it is because I, I didn't know how to let anything go. And I remember clients wanting to let things go. And then we would laugh together about how, of course, I let everything go. That doesn't bother me anymore. That was easy, but I didn't know. I too was still holding on to things. And we would joke, I, you know, like if I said, you know, if there's a pill out there and I find out I'll be on it, you can be on it, you know, my, but the way I have finally been able to do it is I changed my point of view. I changed my perception on what happened. And one of the ways to do that is to keep revisiting it through whatever way you want to, through eyes of love, through eyes of compassion, through eyes of tolerance, through eyes of, um, of religion in the, in the, I'm the worst Catholic out there. I've also been baptized Christian. I, I've never read the Bible, but I know that there is a saying where somebody wants to know how many times they're supposed to forgive. And Jesus, and I'll say the wrong words, the numbers. Jesus says like seven times 70 or seven times 700. You know, with the meaning, how I took it when the person said it to me was, you always forgive. And then I read recently that 
once again, if you're not willing to forgive someone else, what you're saying to the universe or saying out loud to yourself is, I don't deserve forgiveness. So if I can't forgive you, I really, I can't forgive me either, nor can anyone else, because why would anyone forgive me for that? You know, so when you change your perception or your point of view, you can open up so many doors. You know, it's that struggle of, I know best. I know everything. I am the earth's axis. I've done I, that. It I, work I. We've turned into a John Wayne. And I forgive me for saying John Wayne, but, you know, we were right. Well, you know, those cowboy Wayne, movies John Wayne, and John, John Wayne, Wayne could pull out two guns and he probably had more guns behind his back. He didn't even have to aim. Yeah, at John that. Wayne, yeah, he, you know, he would mm-hmm. save the day. Remember? Um, yeah. Nowadays, young people can pick a superhero. I, I just can't think of one to name. So people would say it's hard to forgive somebody who has assaulted you, but nobody really wants to do that. Nobody grows up and says, I can't wait. You know, no child on the playground says, wow, I can't wait. And, you know, throw him or her down under the dirt there and fuck them. Nobody does that. So uh, are there bizarre genes that pass on of psychosis? Absolutely. But again, widen the lens, and everyone who was psychotic in the 80s that had to fail three other inpatient hospitalizations in order to get into this facility that no longer exists because it was expensive, it's not profitable, and it was not profitable. These, these people got better. It was beautiful to see. And really uh, they had to be validated, something we don't want to do. We want to say, pick up your bootstraps, move on. You have to validate boys and girls that have been molested and told an adult figure that didn't validate that or moved on as if that was a secret. Those children don't do well. They do not fare well as an, as an adult either, unless they're super, whatever Jane talks about, but yeah, if they're not validated. And then another thing we did at this old building was uh, just for no reason at all, you know, so-and-so is doing really well, you know, John, can you take Christine to Yorkside pizza tonight? You know, Dave, can you do that one? Can you do that? And then you take people to different activities so that they can then feel safe in the world again because they never had that growing up. So if you have an unsafe environment, which Jane mentioned poverty, we do not care. We have billionaires in this world that apparently do not care. They don't seem to know what to do with their and money. And they think by doing this and trickle down this, the only thing that trickles down is your own urine and feces. That trickles, but no money trickles down that is worth anything to those children, which is usually 25% in this country alone, are in, live in poverty and are starving. And I think it went down briefly to 15%, but aren't we lucky that's what we think is okay that children can starve. Anyway, get help while you can. So sad. It's a jungle out there. (laughs) That actually leads me on to my next question, which is you've both had long careers in in both physical health and mental health, uh, both of those areas. What are the most useful things that you've learned that you would want to pass on to people? For for me, And it's funny, I I don't consider myself concrete. Joan is the one that talks about that. But when you think about keeping things simple, which is is the easiest thing for me, 
is to practice gratefulness. And, you know, I know what those words, it sounds like, you know, um, fingernails on the chalkboard, <laughs> a terrible sound, like, what are you talking about? And then you read these self-help things that say the, the two most, um, most powerful words in the universe, and it's thank you, right? <laughs> so being grateful, I was never even grateful for this, the good in my life. So please, the simplest thing to do is be mindful of being grateful for the good in your life. We always speak up when something goes wrong, speak up once in a while when something goes right. But to be grateful for the negative or the bad that happened to me mm -hmm. uh, is, is the best because that is where I learn the most. Um, I was a very unloving, ungrateful person, and I had a decent upbringing, don't get me wrong, but I was very ungrateful and unloving and, and just like a negative. And John can, yes, everyone can. <laughs> my father remembered the lecturer, this and that. And, um, you know, I went, my mom, our mom, her, the day before she passed, she and I had a little, my God, I thought you hated me. And she said, I thought you hated me. You know, it was this why live your life like that? Because when you know uh, the emptiness, the loneliness, the, all those hurts, when you go through all those horrible negatives, I hate to say it's a human phenomenon that, or maybe it's a, a, it's a physical thing. You then can know the opposite. So now I know true love. Now I know true joy. I don't think I ever knew it. So just try to be grateful for the good and learn from the bad or take that silver lining. Actually try to be grateful for the bad. I, I started plugging in the negative. So I would say thank you. Because if you obviously you don't know the name, I was mugged too. Thank you, mugger, for that negative. I started plugging in all the negative in my life. And you can love somebody. Believe me, Jane's name has been in there. My parents, you know, are both passed. I, my older sister, an animal, just plug it into that thing. That tricks your brain and steers it. It steers, steers it. Boy, does it steer it and it'll help. So two things for me. Physical health is very important to me because I was always uh, sickly and I, I couldn't gain the weight and you know, my clients would say, please don't get Jane in here. I would never take advice from you. Like if they were obese and they, I would say, why don't you want to hear how I eat? No one wanted to hear how I ate. They, they actually thought I didn't eat. But if you look up food, like it's very difficult. We had just gone somewhere out of state and you're not at home. It's very difficult to have real food. You're all of a sudden eating something that's out of a package or a box and it, you know, normally you feel better when you eat real food and it's not every food. I would like to say it's um, alkaline food. So alkaline water, if you can only start with that, just please safari it. I refuse to say <laughs> the other word. I'm not saying that. Safari it, look it up. And it would be alkaline foods because if you don't get the acid out of your body, right. how do you think, because it causes inflammation, how do you think your inflamed brain is doing? Is going do to get any that? You, imagine? you think that those acid thoughts are doing well? You you know you it's amazing. A client of mine said, "John, you do, you notice I've been because she was vegetarian um, for many years. I was already vegan, but she was saying to me because she's been so long. She says, "Do you notice that how much other people smell when they eat meat and dairy?" And I'm thinking, "God, yeah, my nose. My father told me when I was young I needed to go into the profession of uh, sniffing for narcotics at airports. That's how 
my nose, everyone in the neighborhood, can you smell this and tell me what it is? Yes, I can. Um, I make so a, your physical um, health. I make a vegan, <laughs> vegan ricotta cheese <laughs> out of cash, raw cashews or tofu. And I, I have to taste it to see if it mm. tastes because ricotta was one of my favorite things. So the Joan, all she has to do is smell it and tell me it needs a little lemon. I, oh, I have to smell red wine to know if I'm going to be drinking it or pretending I'm having a salad, you know, because it tastes like vinegar. So yeah, anywho, but get your physical health in order yes. because some people who only, I had a kid, he only ate Chick-fil-A and oh, there's no medicine that's no. going to do that. He is so, no. not only he was so depressed, he was suicidal and he yeah. was being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Yes. So what you think, and if somebody had just told me this when I was little, that what you think, you are. So I didn't- Joan, know, wait, John. you are what you think. We've heard that our whole Yeah, life. I didn't like that person. And, and I finally saw a movie that incorporated other countries such as Asian countries. And I did not know that in certain other countries, not all Asian countries, there's no past, present, future. It's, oh, excuse me, there's, a, there's only present. So saying an affirmation that was so difficult for me, not only was a lie, but you do, you say it in the present tense, just like, is this your second tip? That is such a huge, it took yes. me 14 years to notice <laughs> the positivity in my life. People don't have to have it take that long. Yes. Yes. So go ahead and get yourselves better today. <laughs> Thank you. Those that are some very insightful tips. <laughs> No, I, and also I'll be um, I'll be safariing alkali water. People don't know what people don't know what we mean by that. We mean use a search engine. So uh, yes. yes, good, cool. So, so jo Joan and Jane, the therapy twins, um, out with the book Under the Hood. Uh, what's the second part of the uh, title again? Actually, just say Under the Hood therapy twins. It pops right yeah. up because we're obviously not mechanics. All, the the, part, all those other words were just to help the search engine yeah. or something like Amazon that. Amazon gave a great tip and it said yeah. it's the lengthier and that whole secondary yeah. title is you'll get some search engine rights. Yeah, so yeah, how to calm this up down and let that shit go. Okay. So Joan and Jane, the therapy twins, um, search for Under the Hood. How can people reach you if they want to reach you? Oh, info at therapytwins.com or you just Google therapy twins, go to our website and right on the website, there's a way to email us. And somebody said, one of my old clients said, do you realize your cell phone is still all over the internet? Yeah, you just have to say therapy twins, a phone number will pop up. That's mine. I prefer texting. Now that I'm retired, I don't answer the phone. <laughs> no, no, no. I wait Great. for the voicemail. Okay, thank you. Nice. Well, thank you both very much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you for having us. It was lovely. <laughs> now I sound old. Thank you.